Um, I'm going to read almost the entirety of my uh, sermon tonight. It'll be about five or six verses minus a passage from 1 John 3 that we'll go to. And the theme of the message we'll get to is found in in James chapter 4. You have not because you ask not. But before we get there, there's a process that I want us to to recognize and to pay attention to. I'm going to read three verses in the book of James, starting with the last two verses of chapter 3. And although the writers of the King James Bible separated chapter 3 and 4 at this place, friends, I want us to to give note to the fact that they probably shouldn't have separated chapter 3 and chapter 4 at that moment because the theme continues. Okay, the theme continues as a contrast that, that James is writing with that comes out. And I want us to make note of a dramatic shift of emphasis from peace to conflict that takes place. So I'm going to read James 3, 17, 18, and James 4, 1 without pause, um, just right there in, in, in context. James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's an interesting theme here of heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. There's the encouragement to grab a hold of, of wisdom that comes from above. It's how it's referred to. Heavenly wisdom. And to make that our wisdom. To yield to that wisdom. To see the fruits of that wisdom. And in doing so, James brings contrast and says, heavenly wisdom and what comes about when we look to self. Look to self for our own wisdom, to look to self for our own provision, to look to self for our own needs. Heavenly wisdom produces an atmosphere of peace where the seeds of peace will grow into a rich harvest of righteousness. What does it say that earthly wisdom produces? Fights. Quarrels. A pursuit of ourselves. Friends, the difference between godly peace and what this world offers lies in what we pursue. What we pursue. I want you to think about that for a second. Just Let's just not overcomplicate this. Let's think about the context of wisdom. Someone who's seen as wise. Mixed with what they pursue. How many of you guys know people that you're like, Man, that's a, that's a foolish cat. Look at their pursuit. Look at what they're pursuing. Look at all that's available to them and look what they chose to pursue. In the middle of worship, the Lord brought that passage from Romans 10 to my heart. Everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. And it says, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall not be put to shame. You guys, when we pursue Jesus, there's there's never a context of shame. We never walk in shame. When we pursue Christ, there's always wisdom in that. 
Heavenly wisdom produces an atmosphere of peace. Earthly wisdom, constant conflicts. Are we strong on this point? Can we move to the next one? Verse 2, the next verse. You desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Interesting. We're all familiar with that passage. You do not have because you do not ask. You have not because you ask not. But but seen in the context of this, it, it, it's like, wow, I, I don't remember that being in that context. Quick reminder, who is James writing this letter to? The prison down the road? The, the inmates locked up serving life for murder, right? The church. He's writing this to the church and he says, you desire and you do not have, so you what? Murder. Such dramatic words. Murder. Anyone know a Christian who has murdered someone's reputation? Who has murdered someone's hope? Who has murdered someone's passion? We all do. We all do. As I'm going through all these points, let's think in the back of our mind is what is our pursuit in the context of peaceable wisdom? You want peace? Do we want harvest? Do we want righteousness? Yes. I mean, those are easy questions with a simple answer. Yes. So let me ask this question. Do we care more about growing in the kingdom of God than growing our own kingdom? Because when we talk about pursuits, this is what I'm talking about. Do we care more about growing the kingdom of God? Do we care more about pursuing the king than we do building our own kingdom and pursuing our own things, our own standing, our own, I mean, whatever, our own. You know, in the midst of, like, when we do uh, marriage counseling or premarital counseling, we often talk about needs. Well, not often. We always talk about needs. It is always on the agenda. And we make this statement in talking to a husband and a wife. So I'll use James and Amy are here in the second row. James doesn't have to worry about his needs if what? If Amy's taking care of his needs. Amy doesn't have to worry about her needs if what? James is taking care of them. Right? You know, there's times that I'll get a phone call from a dude or Carol will get a phone call from one of you ladies and it's, you know, my wife's not not doing this and this and this or my husband's not doing this and this and we've basically trained ourselves to ask this question. Oh, man. How are you doing on meeting his needs? How are you doing on meeting her needs? Let's just pause for a second. I'm sorry that stinks. That, That... that stinks that that's happening. How are you doing on meeting her needs? What? Are you meeting her needs? Do you know what her needs are? Are, are you meeting them? Friends, when it comes to what we pursue, we can, we can trust God to meet our needs. We don't, we're not the ones that, that make ourselves self-sufficient and self-providing and self-promoting and self-whatever. When it comes to our pursuits, we pursue God and we trust Him to provide 
all that we need. Matthew 6.33 Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But seek Him. Do our wants and our desires perfectly align and correspond with God's? The, the honest answer, I mean, not all of our wants and desires. I mean, let's just be honest. Not all of them. But that should be what we're aiming for, guys. Do our wants and our desires align with God's? Let's want God's will to be done in our lives. Once again, in the context of, of marriages and counseling, or just marriages and life, when Kara and I argue, and, and we're, we don't argue often, but when we do, and we next thing we go, oh my gosh, we're in the middle of a fight. We're arguing. Right now, we're arguing. We pray this every time, and I can say every time, guys, because we do it every time. And it's not a manipulative prayer, because we both want it. And I, I lead us in it. And I say, Lord, we want you to be right. Lord, we need you to be right. Lord, I don't want to be right, and I know my wife's heart, and she doesn't want to be right. Not at the expense of you not being right, Lord. We need you to be right. So we yield ourselves to you. We yield our ammunition to you because we need you to be right. Every time, right, babe? Every time we pray that. Lord, we need you to be right. Friends, we have to need God to be right. We have to want God to be right. We have to trust that His right is better than our right. We have to trust that His wrong is better than our right. God doesn't have wrong, but the Bible does say that the folly of God greatly exceeds the wisdom of man. So we can say that. The folly of God exceeds the wisdom of man. The folly of God's wisdom, the weakest part of His wisdom, which there is none, is greater than the strongest part of our own wisdom. That's awesome. This finally gets me to what the Lord put on my heart to preach at the end of this. You have not because you ask not. But friends, there is a progression to all this. We can't just pull the second half of James 4.2 out and use it by itself and say, you have not because you ask not. We can't just pull that out. There's a progression to it that started with, with the verse we read there in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. And that progression started with what? Yielding to God's wisdom. Which brings what? Peace. Peace. Listed three times in that passage. Peace. We yield to His wisdom. His wisdom brings peace. Is there anybody right now that can say, I'm in a, either in a now, or just came out of a situation where I really needed God's wisdom. And in the midst of that wisdom, what do we need most? Peace, right? Peace. How can you have peace in the midst of this? This is craziness going on. Because I trust God and I, I so desperately need Him to be right. I just called out and said, I need you to be right and I'm going to trust you. And so that's where I sit right now. I, I trust God for the result. I trust God for the answer. So I'm in peace. Because my daddy's got this. That progression talked about rejecting our wisdom which bring fighting 
and selfish desire. Even if that conflict is among self. Even if that conflict is an inner conflict. It doesn't even have to be fighting with one another. Sometimes there's inner conflict. Sometimes there's conflict with God. You know, I mean, I remember in, in literature class, you know, there's, you know, man versus nature, man versus self, man versus man, or man versus God. You know, there's always conflict. Friends, not, not, not when we live a life surrendered and yielded to His wisdom, there's not. Not when we say, Lord, I surrender to you. Then there's peace. It's what the Word tells us. Then there's peace. I don't have to be in conflict with God. I don't have to be in conflict with, with man. I don't have to be in conflict with self. Nature, sometimes a little good nature, man conflict is a good thing. I don't know. But even then, I guess we don't have to do it unless you want it. James 4, 2. You have not because you ask not. But before we got there, that progression said, don't covet. Don't have frustration. Don't fight. Don't murder. Then the Word says you have not because you ask not. Friends, if we're completely self-dependent, if we're completely self-reliant, then we don't what? We have no need to ask God for anything. Right? Right? You have not because you ask not. Friends, there's times we don't ask, not because we don't need, but because we're too self-reliant. Because we're like, I've got this. Lord, you've made me strong, so I've got this. Friends, i got to fight that. Lord, you've given, me, you've given me wide shoulders, Lord, you know, both spiritually and physically, and, and I can do this. Uh, no, son. Ask me. Ask me and see what I'll give you. Ask me and see what I'll do for you. Ask me. Friends, we can't be the strong one in this relationship. He's the strong one. And we've got to ask. Why would I ask man for anything if I'm completely dependent upon myself? Or if I'm completely dependent upon someone else? Why would I ask man for anything? That's a big one too. Most of us in this room probably don't like to ask men for something else. Most of us in this room are pretty much okay asking God for something else. Even if we are really like uber self-dependent. Okay, Lord, I can ask you. Okay, the Lord's like, wonderful. Um, I now want you to ask this brother because he, he has what you need. So go, go ask him. What? No, Lord, I asked you. I know, I know. Thank you so much. Love you. You're awesome. I want you to ask him because he's got what you need. Lord, I asked you for a tire. He's got 12 of them. He's got 12 of them. Ask him. I'm not going to just poof a tire to you. Ask him. Well, Lord, that's a sign of weakness. No, it's not. It's a sign of need. There's a difference. He has 12 tires sitting there. Because I had someone give him 12 tires. And I said, you'll know what to do with them. Just sit tight on them. Okay, fine, Lord. Fine, fine. I'll ask. Wrong. You're asking wrongly. What? You just got to tell me to ask. We ask, but we have to ask correctly. Verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you what? 
because you ask wrongly. And then it says to spend on your passions. In these last two verses we read, James mentions the most common problems in prayer. Number one, not asking. Number two, asking for the wrong reason. Or number three, asking for the wrong things. You guys, there, there, there's plenty of wrong asking. When I was younger, when I was, when I was a boy, I remember asking God to kill people. I'd see friends hurt. I'd see my family hurt and people betraying my family. And I remember asking God, Lord, kill that person! Strike them down! Old Testament style! None of this New Testament grace stuff. Kill him, Lord. Friends, there's plenty of ways we can ask wrongly that aren't even that that obvious. So let's easily remedy these problems. Number one, let's ask. Let's ask. Let's start with talking to God. And then let's ask him what he wants. Let's ask him what he desires. And then let's ask him what we, you know, let's ask for what we need. But let's start off by going, Lord, what do you want from me? Is there something in this you're trying to teach me? Lord, is there a way in this you want to be glorified that I'm just not seeing, Lord? I need you to be right. So I yield to you. And then ask, Lord, this is what I need. Lord, does that line up with your heart? Oh, does that line up with your word? Does that line up with your will? It, it doesn't? How doesn't it? God will dialogue with you. He will. He'll dialogue with you or he'll, he'll go, yeah, yeah, you know my heart. You know my will. You, you, know, you saw it in my word. I want to give it to you. Number one, let's ask. Number two, let's ask with the right motives. Let's desire God to have his way. Lord, we need you to have your way above ours. Father, your will be done. Number three, let's ask for the right things. Our prayers will be so powerful when we allow God to change our desires so that they perfectly correspond and align with his. So how do we do this? How do we know if we're asking for the right things with the right motives? How do we know if we're asking for the right things with the right motives? I'm glad you asked. 1 John 3 is awesome. It totally lays it out there for us. 1 John 3, we're going to read 19 through 24. It says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Such an awesome verse, you guys. Like, read the affection in these words. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved. Oh, I love when He calls me beloved. Don't you love when he calls you beloved? Beloved. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. 
And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name. That we believe in the character. That we believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And love one another just as He has commanded us. If I can pause for one second. In the Bible, a man's name stood for something. A man's name stood for his character. A a man's name defined his person. When we talk about trusting in the name of God, we trust in the character of Jesus Christ. We trust trust in the person of Jesus. A good man has always been willing to fight for his good name. But the most honorable man was willing to die for his To believe in the name means to pattern our lives after Him. To believe in the name requires action, friends. And we pattern our lives and our behavior after Him. Not following commandments for the sake of obedience sake alone, but following commandments because we know His name. We know His character. And where else would we go? Where else would we go, Lord? Where else would we go, Lord? You're the only one that brings truth. And if we're living our lives like that, I promise you, we'll love one another, which is what the end of that, before it, is what it said. We will love one another. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name, the character, the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we will know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. As believers, guys, we have to demonstrate and keep these three commands that are listed in this verse. Number one, believe. Believe, 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 believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Friends, when we believe, our actions are changed. When we believe, our actions are changed. I trained with Michael for a little bit. He, I, I was, I was his, the young Padawan to his Jedi. And I know that this man is a, is a force of power. And if I believed that he was going to punch me in the nose, I would take some precautions. Actually, I'd, I'd get a head start and I'd run. I don't want to be punched in the nose. I would do something. My actions would dictate that I believe. Now, that's a negative sense. But what about God? When we believe in His in His love and His grace and His mercy, we believe in who He is and there's a reverence, there's a fear, and it's attributed to us as wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, is a reverence for God, is that we believe He's going to do what He says He's going to do. Friends, our actions follow. So number one, believe in Jesus Christ. Number two, love one another. And once again, this is written to the church. And when it's love one another, he's saying, love one another. Love your brothers. Love your sister. Love one another. And number three, remain in fellowship with him by living the godly lives that he has commanded, which allows us to reach a hurting and lost world. Friends, right now, we are building a house for someone else. And when this house is finished, the result will be this. A lost and hurting world will have a place to come into to call home. We are building a house 
for someone else. We're not building a house for us, guys. I want to finish up this message talking about our building, and I want to make it abundantly clear. We're not building a house for us. We're building a house for someone else. We're building a house for the king. We're building a house where we're going to believe that the lost are going to come in in great measure, but they're not going to stay that way. That doesn't mean they're not going to stay at the church. They're just not going to stay lost. They're just not going to stay hurting. They're just not going to stay bound because we know who our God is. Can we pull up that picture? All right. So I've imagined a picture of us building this house. Um, I, I Just so that no one gets mad at her, I do want to point out that, that Joy, he's on the lower left over there and she's posing. She's not sweating at all. Clearly she hasn't been doing any physical labor. She looks great. But before you get mad at her going, she's not working, just realize that out of the picture are these like phenomenal roast beef and bacon sandwiches she made. They're incredible. So she made all those. So, you know, she doesn't have to swing a hammer if she can make those sandwiches. I also want to point out that there are way more women than men in this picture. So come on, guys, pick up. Way more women. Uh, also, Ronan is looking good. Ronan is looking strong up there. He's been working out. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little disappointed in Brad. I don't know why he's wearing that Halloween outfit from last year. It's a little creepy there with his licorice hanging out of his mouth. But at least he's there to help. God bless him. We got Emma up top. We got Miriam. We got men. We got women. We got teens. We got children. We got babies. We got John Elway. You never know where help's going to come from and we're not going to turn it down. When people come into this place after we've built it, they're going to find peace, right? But it's not our peace. It's not our peace. When they walk into this place, they're going to find the peace of God. And it's going to change their lives. When the hurting walk into that place, they're going to find love, but it's not our love. Now, our love is represented, you know, it's demonstrated. You know, the Father's love flowing through us. But guys, it's not our love that sets anyone free. It's not our love that sets anyone free. It's the love of God. This is God's house that we're building. And as much as we take ownership in this, it's not our house. It's not your house and it's not my house. But we will get to rest in this place. We will get to feast in this place. We will get to party in this place. We'll get to celebrate in this place. We'll get to be used in this place. We'll get to grow in this place. But we're going to get to see people healed up and delivered and saved. And we're going to be used in this place. In building this house, we have to believe. We have to believe who we're building it for. What are the motives in our heart in building this place, guys? I'm letting you know right now, I have examined the motives of my heart. The motives in our heart in building this place is growth of the kingdom of God. It's the advancement of the kingdom of God. The move from Saturday night to Sunday 
Guys, I love my Sundays. I love sleeping in. I love a, a big breakfast. I love football. I love socializing. I love my Sundays, guys. But I love my King more. And so moving from Saturday nights to Sundays will be about growing the kingdom of God. I know, I know what my motives are, guys, and I know what our motives are. It's for the king. So far, this is so cool, guys. Talk about motives. So far, he's given us nothing to boast of. He's received all the glory. We didn't find this house. We didn't find this house. We didn't find this place. Uh, a guy who doesn't even go to this church found it for us. Why? God receives all the glory. The favor that was shown to us Tuesday night at that board of trustees meeting, guys, that was not because, you know, because we had speakers speak who were witty and funny or were informative and, you know, were bold to, to talk about Jesus or because we had young people who tugged on the heartstrings. None of that. And, and, but all that was true. I mean, it, we had some funny moments and Acacia getting up there and speaking was really wonderful and, and I loved the chance to get up there before the trustees and talk about Jesus. But none of that is why we got what we got. None of that is why the town administrator walked up afterwards and said, I've never seen that happen. I've never seen that happen. For them to push through two measures, approve it, just like that, without discussion, without anything, even bypassing protocol. They bypassed protocol. The mayor had to stop them and go, okay, great, let's do that. But um, there's protocol. We have to do this first. And he's like, and I think the guy said something like, well, then I propose we do that and who's going to stop me? This is one of the trustees that I've never met before in my life. The favor of God. The favor of God. In building this house, we must love one another. You know what? I'm trying to see. Right, I'm picking on. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna pick on you because I, I don't know if you can swing a hammer. Okay. Mr. Queen might not be able to swing a hammer. For my sake, you should... Eric might not be able to swing a hammer. He might he might be completely inept with the hammer. I, I mean, I I'm I'm capable, but I'm not like talented. I mean, I'll I'll do what the guys who know what they're doing will tell me to do. But when we walk in that place, I'm one of those guys. Like, what? How do I do this? You pull back the shiny silver thing. You hit it. But we got to love one another. I, I, when we're in there working, I don't want I don't want us griping. I don't want us complaining. I don't want us being impatient with one another. We're sowing seeds of, of peace and love in that place. And so everyone who walks through there, we want them to have peace, which is indicative of what? Heavenly wisdom. Wisdom from above. we got to love one another. And in this place, we must remain in fellowship with God. You guys, that place doesn't become a place of worship once there's paint on the walls and our drums, you know, and our, 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 you know, our worship equipment set up there. That's not when it becomes a place of worship. It's a place of worship now. And when we come in that place, let's just start praying in tongues. Let's just start singing in the Spirit. Let's just start proclaiming God. Let's just start, you know, reading Scripture. It's a place of worship now. So I've laid out the ways to overcome the problems of how to ask. But let's come to the problems of, the problem of we have not because we ask not. We have not because we ask not. We need to ask. We need to ask the Lord, but we also need to ask men. We can't be so proud to go, no, this is only going to come through the supernatural provision of the Lord when he's like, 
God's like, but I've given him 12 tires. He's just chomping at the bit to give them away. We've got to ask. God has given us a building. God has given us favor. But now we've got to fill this place. First, we fill it with electrical wiring and drywall and nails and screws and paint and muscle and experience and effort. And in filling that place with those things, you guys, there's got to be some asks because our funds are limited. And so we've been asking, but we need to keep on asking. I have a next door neighbor. We've never had dinner with him. We always say hi. He's a, he's a good man. They're a neat couple and they're a fun family. But we've never done anything socially. And he was driving the other day and I walked out there and I'm like, oh, you window down. I'm like, hey, when you get back sometime, we need to talk because I'm, I'm going to ask something of you and I need your help. He goes, okay. So I shoot him a text. Last night I pull in. He's a master electrician. I'm like, hey, um, I'm just going to go ahead and be direct. Here's what I need. I need some free labor. I need some free time. I need your expertise. I need what you have and what you bring to the table and I need it for free for the church. Okay. We have not because we ask not. And once those things have filled that place with order and structure and drywall and framing and electrical have all gone in the right order, then we still need to fill that place, right? With what? With people. Do you think it's our wonderful marketing efforts that are going to get the people there? I'm totally serious. Do you think it's any marketing effort we're going to do that's going to get people in that place? So we all acknowledge that God's going to get them there, right? But who do you think He wants to use? Maybe let's do this. Let's raise your hand if you have an, if you have an answer. If you think, who does God want to use to bring those people into this place? He wants to use each one of us. There needs to be the invite. There needs to be the ask. Hey, I want you to come to church. You're going to love it. Because how we ask matters. How we ask matters. As a matter of fact, how we ask is how we're going to receive. If we ask apologetically, well, you know, I, I know, I know you we're all busy. I know you're busy. And I know you probably got a lot of things going on on Sunday. Stop right there. Just turn and walk away. Just don't even ask yet. Wait till you can get a second time before asking if you're going to ask like that. Don't do that. Be like, you need to come to church. You're going to love it. God's got something for you. You will never be the same. Do you want me to pick you up or you're going to drive or what do you want to do? We need to ask. When we're asking for stuff, hey, I need some help. I need your labor. I need your expertise. I need your skill set. I need your time. And it's all for the kingdom of God. Or maybe it's someone who doesn't know, doesn't know Jesus at all. Hey, you know, it's been a couple months since... You know, since we've, you know, talked or caught up and, and let's catch up later, but before we do, let me just come straight to the point. I need your help. I, I'd like you to write a check. Can you donate? I love my church and God is doing something. God's given us a building and He's given us favor with the town, but what we need now is some money to build some things and to make it look nice. Can you help? It's end of year. Everything you give is tax deductible. How much can you give? I know, dude, I see you. I know you got 20 bucks, but can you do it? Can it be 200? You got 2,000. And let's not ask apologetically. We don't have to apologize for this. Not if we believe it's that our motives are right. We don't have to apologize for this. Right? 
You guys are so nervous looking right now. We don't have to apologize, guys. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't ask apologetically. Because that passage we read from 1 John 3 said we ask confidently. We ask confidently because we know who our God is and we know our hearts are in alignment with Him. And we ask confidently. Brad has written a letter. We're going to send that out tonight. Um, uh, It's an example of a donation letter. There's other things that we're talking about. um, Ways to make the ask easy. But here's the bottom line, guys. We just got to ask. We just got to ask. I called up a buddy of mine and said, Hey, I want you and your wife to give thought and prayer. I want you to plant a seed in Impact Rock. And he goes, Well, friend, you don't, I'm, I'm going to plant a seed. Just the fact that you asked, we're going to give. We just, we need to know how much it is. So I'm just going to ask the Lord. But I'm giving. Just know it. I'm giving. So I've done that several times. Just get straight to the point. Hey, buddy, how you doing? That's awesome. Here's why I'm calling. It depends on the relationship. Asking according to the relationship. You know, if we're family, you know, if we're if we're tight, man, just don't don't beat around the bush. No facades. Just hey, will you give some money? And then talk about the benefits. Hey, it's tax deductible, but will you give? We know some people that are like that own a carpet store. Hey, we need some carpet. How big of a discount can you give us? We're asking. Can you do something charitable from the just the the abundance of your heart can you give so that our kids have a clean place to crawl on? We need carpet for the kids' rooms. Can you give? Can you help? And guys, here's here's the key that, that I, I, I'm intentional in my words. It's all of us, guys. It has to be all of us asking. It can't just fall on me. It can't just fall on who else has a really big, like like the type A personality or whatever, the type whatever I think, I'm thinking of Josh because Josh like would ask anything. Josh would be like, "Hey, you want to give some pizzas? You want to give some donuts? And you want to give a million dollars too?" They're like, "Yeah, Josh, here you go," you know. But it can, it's not just—it's not about a personality type. We all know people that, of influence, and honestly, we, I think we all probably know. Could you pull the picture back up again? Okay, somebody—I don't know how many degrees of separation. Someone knows John Elway, okay? We can get an ask to John Elway. I don't know where. But maybe a John Elway type. But let's just ask. We have to ask. And we have to grab this concept. Because I believe the word is true when it says that if we do not ask, then we do not what? Have. There's a right way to do it. Right? There's an examination of motives. There's yielding to his wisdom. There's a peace that comes with it. So there is a process, and that's why I went, that's why I laid the foundation. It's not just ask, there's a process. But we have to ask. And so I'm asking you guys to ask. I'm asking you guys to write letters. I'm asking you to pick up the phone. I'm asking you guys to say, hey, let's get together for coffee. There's something I want to ask of you. And let's ask. And let's let the Lord amaze us. These chairs, the guy's a Christian. A friend of his brought the chairs to him. And he's like, okay, I'll sell them. Uh, this isn't the business I'm in, but I'll, I'll put a, I'll put it on Craigslist. And he gave us a great price. And I went up there and said, you're offering me a great price. So I appreciate it. Will you go cheaper? Will you give me a better price? He's like, you know what? Because it's for the church and because you're a Christian, yes, I will. And he was happy to do it. He was happy to do it. So my encouragement to you guys, let's let's get over being bad askers. Right?
even in my asking, even in this message, I'm, I'm, I want to remind us, I want to ask us, let's remember that the tithe belongs to the Lord. We're coming up on the holidays. You guys, money's tight for everybody. But either we believe that the tithe belongs to the Lord or we don't. And if we do, then that first ten is His. And let's not allow um, the expenses of the holidays or the desire to buy presents or any of these things prevent us from giving to the Lord what is His. So I'm asking us to remember that the tithe belongs to the Lord. I'm asking us to be generous. I'm asking us, to, I mean, we're so close to 13000 on our building fund. I'm asking us, let's kick that thing up to 113000 And it might not all come from your account, but someone knows John Elway. Or someone, or Prince, or whoever. <laughs> 